Well, I am Pastor Jeremy, and I thought, you know, some of you know me, some of you don't, a lot of you probably don't know me, so I'm just going to take a few minutes to actually introduce myself and my family to you. And I, I realized, as I was thinking about what I was going to introduce, or you know, like my wife, for example, that you've actually seen my wife on this stage significantly more than me. And if you don't know who my wife is, you wouldn't even know that, because she's the real superstar of this Leffler family. So... Without further ado, I will show you a picture of my wife. My wife is Sarah Leffler. She's beautiful, isn't she? Aw, she's not here until next service, so I can say it without embarrassing her. She is beautiful. We've been married for 13 years. She is a music teacher at Westfield Intermediate School. So if you've had a fifth grader or a sixth grader within the last four years or this school year, it's very likely that my wife was your student's middle school teacher, not middle school, music teacher at the Westfield Intermediate. So if any Westfield students in the house, any Westfield people, just me, a few of you, no shouting, they're actually shy. It's okay, Westfield's best field. Come on, what's up? Let's go. <laughs> Anyways, we've been married for 13 years. We do have three animals. We don't have any children, but we have three fur babies. And uh, I'm terrible at photos, and I forgot to take a picture of them, and my wife has 100. So yeah. What a surprise. But anyways, we have a dog, Molly. She's 12 years old. We have two um, black cats. Yes, we're that family. So if you live on my street, I saw one of you who is my neighbor. Sorry if you see a black cat running by. It's Halloween season coming up. Don't freak out. Just Jeremy's cat. It's fine. Rocky is eight. And then Abu, the cutest cat name of all time, is three. And that's our family. But that's not the only family I want to introduce to you because there's somebody else. Um, I have a brother. I have three brothers, in fact, and I love all my brothers equally. I'm supposed to say that, so I'm going to say it on stage in case they ever question you. I love them all equally. But one of them has a special place in my heart because he kind of stole my face. I am the oldest identical twin. I have an identical twin. We sound the same. We are both big, energetic personalities. My mother and father are the greatest human beings on the planet for somehow or another Loving us at 5 a.m. when these two chatterbugs started their day, every single day growing up. But that is Jason. Uh, if you want to know which one's which, I shave. Easiest one for you, right there. But I thought, you know what? If you see us on social media, if you actually were to go follow me on social media, you could follow the wrong person on accident. Because if you look up Pastor Leffler or whatever, you're going to find two of us. Because he's also a pastor, and he looks and sounds and is just as goofy that's me. So that's my family. I hope to get to know you better. If you didn't know who my wife was, she is often on this keyboard like once or twice a month, and I think she might even be on next week. But whatever. She's amazing. Make sure you say hi to her after the service because she's going to be greeting. Well, this week we are continuing in our sermon series, Underground Jesus, where we are talking about the movement of God, not necessarily within the four walls of our church, but going out radically, living boldly and loving deeply into our community to impact a culture let's be honest, that doesn't like us very much anymore. So we used to be a Christian culture, and now I'd like to call us a post-Christian culture. And throughout these now five weeks, and next week we finish up our series, we've been looking through the book of Acts. And just to be honest, we're, we're flying through this incredible book of Acts. It has 28 chapters. But it, we've been pointing out some incredible truths that we can learn as a church, but also as individual Christians from the early church. And so we're gonna be looking at this incredible guy named Paul. We've looked at him for a few weeks, but we're gonna to continue to look at his story. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Envita's and Pastor Joss's sermon. It was fire, it was amazing, you should go listen to it. But they talked about the Apostle Paul's second missional journey. And this morning we're gonna look at the Apostle Paul's third and final 
missionary journey. And I'd like to say that Pastor Josh gave me um, the Apostle Paul's favorite church to talk about. So you're going to hear me say that a lot. That's Jeremy's opinion, okay? The Bible doesn't say that this is the Apostle Paul's favorite church, okay? It's fine. But it's the church of Ephesus. And the reason why I tell you I think it's Paul's favorite church is because he wrote about this church to his leaders a lot. He wrote First and Second Timothy, Titus in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. It's all spoken about the book or the church of Ephesus. You find it, a huge section here in the book of Acts talking about the church of Ephesus. And then we actually find it again in Revelation at the very end of the New Testament. This was an incredible church. And in some ways, I actually saw the scholar talk about how in some ways, this was the second mega church. So the mega church in Jerusalem, you probably read it, heard Pastor Josh talk about it at the very beginning of Acts, thousands upon thousands giving their life to Jesus. And then we get to the church of Ephesus and it's like the apostle Paul speaks so highly of this church. But let's dive into Acts chapter 19 and let's see just a little bit of what happens. This is a dramatic story for us this morning. Are you guys ready to hear a dramatic story of the movement of God? Anybody? Okay, are you guys ready to hear a dramatic story that I pray looks like our dramatic story of movement of God? Anybody else ready for that? Five people. Jesus, I pray for your church this morning. Acts chapter 19, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story, and then we'll dive in and look at it, verse 28. So if you have a physical Bible, open it up. If you have the digital Bible, power it on, and let's look at it together. But the Apostle Paul is entering into <clears throat> Jeremy's version, the favorite church of Paul, right? Ephesus. Now, give you a little bit of context of Ephesus. Ephesus is the third largest city in all of Rome. It is the most influential and largest city on the eastern half of Rome. So this would have been the Asia Minor. Today, uh, geologically, it would just be Turkey. But this is one of the most influential churches and cities in all of ancient Rome. But more so, Ephesus wasn't just known for its great economics and its trade. It was also known as an epicenter of religious activity. So it's obviously not Jerusalem. So we're not talking about Jews. We're talking about Greek mythology. It had one of the largest temples ever created. It had a temple that was designated to goddess Diana, or Artemis is another name, but she became mostly known as Diana. And this city loved Prince, or not Princess Diana, that's the wrong country, wrong era. Pretty close though, right? Okay. But the goddess Diana, they loved her. It's almost like if you go down to the end of, uh, downtown Indianapolis, you got the roundabout, and the entire city is built and designed around this monument in downtown Indianapolis. Like every major road takes you straight to the monument, right? Jump on 31 Meridian, and you can like see it coming into town. In the same way, this temple that was resurrected, not resurrected, erected for her in honor of her and for worship of her was the, at the center of all of Ephesus society. Everything evolved around this. And we know that because as the Apostle Paul comes into town to meet with his favorite leaders, and this remind you, that's a joke. It's just because Ephesus is such a cool place. But he's meeting with all of these leaders. He's excited. He's talking about what God is going to do. And then we get into Acts chapter 19, and something crazy is about to happen. He gets there, and there's an uprising against Christianity. Does that feel relevant today at all? Anyone else feel that? Anybody ever put a post on Instagram and go, ha, ah, delete, delete, delete? You ever want to be bold for Christ and you're like, 
uprising against us. Well, imagine being the Apostle Paul who is proud of his leaders in Ephesus and the church that he spent over two years at. Actually, the longest he spent at any church was Ephesus. And he goes back and there's a massive uprising, but not just any uprising. Go to verse 28. There's these people who um, were creating silver idols for the goddess Diana. And they were really worried that this new Christian movement was going to wreck their finances. So first and foremost, they were a little anxious and insecure because, well, who's going to buy these little silver statues if nobody's worshiping her? And then they start getting people on their side. They start to create a coup. And next thing you know, there's an uprising. And it starts in verse 28 after they had said these things and got people believing it. When they heard this, they being the, just the people who live in Ephesus, just random people, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city, remember I told you it was how big? The third largest city in all of Rome. The whole city was in uproar. Now imagine being Paul. You're walking in all confidently, ready to hear the good news that's been happening, and the entire city hates your movement. And that is literally what happened. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized two, and I'm even going to begin to try to say these names because I'm going to butcher them, but two of Paul's favorite and closest companions traveling from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater. So next to this ginormous uh, temple, which was the first temple actually made of marble, and it was also um, is estimated to be the second most expensive structure in the ancient world. It was also one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that was destroyed in the fourth century. So this thing is ginormous, influential, and right next to it was an even larger theater. And the whole city just races to this theater to hear what's going on to join the movement against Christianity. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him, and I'm sure for his safety. So I think this story sounds a lot like ours today. Our theater looks like social media. Our theater looks like, I'm going to go there, you guys ready? Political news stations. I think our theater against us is very loud and clear. And a lot of us, including myself, are scared and anxious to be bold for Jesus and to love deeply for Jesus. Although it's plastered on our walls and on our shirts, we're still scared. What can we learn from this story about what the Apostle Paul does next on how to best impact a post-Christian culture that's against us? What can we learn? How can we learn from this passage on a crazy experience where an entire city like Indianapolis, all of it, rises up against you? Here is the title of my message this morning, Fresh Fruit. I think the answer lies within those two words. And no, I'm not talking about a banana. That's too ripe. I'm talking about the work of Jesus Christ in you and through you. Fresh fruit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves. Man, thank you for working through somebody like Isaiah who just says, man, this is our God. No one, no one is greater than you. No one, no one can stand against us because of you. But Lord, if we're honest, that is not the courage that we live our day with. 
I pray this morning that you would drive us closer to your spirit. Your spirit would, would come and, and not just convict us, but to give us grace, hope for the future. As we as individuals and as a community go into and work hard in this underground movement, one that does not rely on these four walls or a church name, but relies on the incredible love and grace of Jesus to impact this post-Christian culture. Lord, may these three or four ideas that I bring this morning be literally your words for our people this morning, and may they resonate deeply and we see a movement happen this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I've been in full-time ministry for 12 years. I was a high school math teacher before that. And uh, I, tw- 11 years ago, I went and started at a church in Avon. It was my first full-time position instead of being a math teacher. Yeah, math teacher. So if you have students who are in math, I'm a good tutor. Just throwing that out there, you know. <clears throat> I got something for me. And 11 years ago, we were in Avon, Indiana at this church. And I was only there for a year. And our ministry was booming. Our student ministry was booming. So much so that we had outgrown our space, which is like, Woo! Like, everybody loves that, right? And I'm, like, trying to come up with solutions of how to, like, create more space for us to grow. And the church wasn't giving me a half a million dollars to build a student center, so I had to be creative. And so I decided that our ministry at the time was 7th grade through 12th, and I was going to split the ministry up into middle school and high school. It would give us the opportunity to be more intentional with middle school students, but also giving high school kids a break from those middle school students. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. My, I am the middle school kid, so I get it. So I'm pumped. We get all these parents together. I'm hoping for 60 people. I buy spaghetti for 60 people after church. 160 show up. I did not have enough spaghetti. It's amazing. They still liked me afterwards because most of them didn't eat. But that's beside the point. And I share this vision that I want what used to be just Wednesday night to go to Wednesday night and Sunday night and middle school be on Wednesday night because I really believed that our middle school ministry was going to explode over this decision. And our high school ministry would like me for it. That's really what I thought, because I love middle school kids and I'm good with them. And so I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So high school ministry is our first thing that Sunday night. All the high school kids come and like, oh my goodness, guys, 24 people who had never been to church in their lives were invited that night. It was incredible. I remember we get in the car and my wife is uh, in her senior year at Indiana Wesleyan at the time. And I get in the car, I'm like, I know you have to go back to Marion, but uh, we gotta go get ice cream first. We gotta celebrate. Like, did I ever make the biggest, best decision ever? Woo! Favorite church. Let's go. Movement happening. I'm on cloud nine. Then Wednesday comes. I can't wait. Because again, I made this decision for the middle school kids more than anything. I didn't think the high school kids would be that happy, but they were. Don't know what that really means, but you know, they were excited. Then I get to middle school night, and unfortunately, I can only have one leader there who happens to be my cousin. And I can't wait. I got the best games lined up. I got the best teaching lined up. I promised them all we're going to have an ice cream Sunday night. Like, I mean, I'm doing everything I can to draw as many middle school kids as well because we're going to reproduce and do better than the high school kids. Well, night comes, and one kid shows up. It was my cousin. (laughs) Wasn't just one kid. It was my cousin. And I remember walking away that night going, what have I done? I thought the parents wouldn't hate me over spaghetti, but they didn't bring their kids. And I was devastated. For three weeks, I had two people, my cousin and her son, came for three weeks. What do you do with one kid? 
I had three gallons of ice cream for one kid. I sat there and went, I don't know how to make an impact. What in the world? I can get high school kids to show up, but in three years they're all gone. What am I going to do when the middle school kids aren't there? And I felt devastated. Have you ever felt that way before? I mean, that's just my like, business life experience. But have you ever felt that? Where you thought you made the greatest decision ever, woo, things are going great, and then boom. How about your marriage? Has anybody been in a marriage long enough to know that at one point it's going really well, and then out of nowhere, ooh, she's mad at me. I didn't know that was that important. Sorry, I'll fold the socks next time, wife. That was the first big argument we ever had was folding socks. Long story. Still don't fold them. Haven't figured that out yet. It's my life. But you've been there. That's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. He is, it's story after story after story of God's incredible movement. And Acts chapter 19 comes and boom. The second largest church becomes the largest and most influential church in the ancient world after Jerusalem does. Kind of fades away, unfortunately. And an uprising comes. You think you're doing it right and boom, life hits. I think you've been there personally, haven't you? So let's jump to Acts chapter 20, and let's see what the Apostle Paul's response is. So they wouldn't let him go into the theater to fight the people, right? But then he calls in about 30 miles away to a different city. He calls all the elders together. And all these elders walk 30 miles, literally 30 miles, to meet up with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul starts to share these encouraging words to them, starting with verse 18, says this. When they, they being the elders of the church, arrived, Paul says to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you in public and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. An uprising just happened. I got to be honest, this is not the first thing that would want to come out of my mouth. Do you sense the hope in Paul's voice? In one way, Paul's going, I've been there before. You know, what happens between chapter 19 and chapter 20? I think we see a courageous man. In order for us to make an impact into a post-Christian culture, which we all acknowledge is incredibly difficult, the very first thing we must do is become courageous with the Spirit. We have to be courageous. In a few minutes, I'm going to share with you the story of what happens in our ministry 11 years ago where one cousin turned into 28 baptisms in four months. And it took courage. Before I get there, I want you to think about what this word courage means. What does it mean for you? I wonder what's the most courageous act God is asking you to do today. For some of you, the most courageous act that you can make with the Spirit of God is to actually just tell your, your coworker you love Jesus. I know, awkward. It's awkward for me. I work in a church. No, I'm just kidding. But it's hard. I get it. But I learned something about what it means to be courageous. Courageousness is not just stepping out and having a conversation, but it's living a life on social media. It's living a life in front of people. It's treating people differently where after repeated actions, disciplines of loving people deeply like Jesus did, they're going to see that you're different. 
And the most courageous thing you could do is love people like Jesus did. So I worked at Wendy's in high school. And I was 16, 17 years old in my junior year of high school. And I'm just flipping burgers. You know, you're waiting until 8 o'clock to come so you can go home as a 16-year-old. All you're worried about is getting a check that I made $5.15 an hour. So for those of you who make 15 to start off with, I don't want to hear it. And I know my mom said she made a dollar or something. So eh, whatever. But I'm just flipping burgers. I want to get home. 8 o'clock is almost there. Okay, I'm just pressing these burgers. And this girl who I went to high school with, she was two years older than me. Her name was Amanda. And she is angry about something, and she goes, what the hell? And I'm like, okay, whatever, I don't know, I'm just flipping my burgers. And she stops, and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, Jeremy. I'm like, uh, what are you sorry about? I'm just flipping burgers. It's almost 8 o'clock, and you can go home. She goes, I know you don't like to cuss, and you don't like cussing, and I feel bad cussing around you. And I'm like, I don't care, Amanda, just, just do whatever. She goes, no, 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 no. What the H-E double hockey stick? I'm like, you know you still said the word, right? Like, what did you change other than that you got clever and now it's more memorable? Great, thanks. And I remember sitting there going, what is she doing? And she goes, but the way you live your life inspires me and I want to be different. And I'm like, I'm just flipping burgers waiting for 8 p.m. Please stop talking to me. But I learned something that day. God taught me something. The best influential voice you have in a post-Christian culture, Jeremy, is how, love, how much you love people. This young woman was struggling she had dropped out of school, and she found hope because of a person standing next to her who lived differently who was just flipping burgers waiting for 8 p.m. And I wonder how courageous we could be and what would it look like for the underground movement of Jesus to take off into our community if we weren't just looking for 8 p.m. to come so we could go home, but we were looking how to love deeply and make an impact. The Apostle Paul was courageous. That's how an uprising calmed down and then a great movement happened in the church of Ephesus. What is your courageous act? Parents, just for a second, talk to you for a second. Parents, I think one of the most courageous acts that you can make, I've seen this for 12 years as a full-time youth pastor and three years as a teacher before that, the best thing you could probably do today is to go home, go home and have the sex talk with your kids. Ooh, this took the air out of this room. But we're talking about Courage. And prep for this message, I actually asked my wife, I'm like, hey, can you tell me um, what was the most influential voice of where you got your sex theology in middle school? And she goes, my best friend. Parents, be cur- have courage in the spirit of God and have the conversations. I'm just giving you an example. So you guys know that it takes courage, but the spirit of God is with you. But it doesn't just take courage. You got to have courage. But there are other things that you also need to have. One, the Apostle Paul, here at the end of Acts chapter 20, as he's giving this speech to these elders, gives a massive warning. He says, watch out for savage wolves. So here in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 28, it says, keep watch over yourselves. This is the Apostle Paul talking to church leaders. He's just talking to you and to me. He's not talking to pastors. He's just talking to people who love Jesus. Watch out for savage wolves. And all the flock, keep watch of yourselves and all the flock with the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Parents, he's made you spiritual overseers over your kids. That's why I say have that courageous conversation. And many more. I just pulled out one. I know that after I leave, this is verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come. This is a guarantee he's telling us. Savage wolves will come. I'm here to tell you that savage wolves are here 
in us and in this community. He continues. This is so scary and alarming. Verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. So when he says, watch out for savage wolves, I was trying to think about, okay, what is a modern example of that? One, I hope there are no savage wolves in the middle of Carmel, because that would be weird. Where'd they come from? Like, it's hard to find them in Yellowstone. That's where they're supposed to live. Like, what the heck? What do you mean? It made me think of Matthew chapter 13, where the apostle, or Jesus is talking to his apostles. He's given this parable, and he talks about how this farmer is spreading his seeds throughout his fields. And it lands on four different types of surfaces. One, the path, and of course, it didn't get sown into the ground, and so birds came and ate it. And he talks about three others. One landed on rocks. I don't know about you, but corn doesn't grow very well on rocks, is my assumption. I mean, I can barely keep my houseplants alive, but I'm sure they don't grow on rocks. And then he puts them on a normal field, and it lands on good soil, and it grows. But there was a fourth one that I think actually might be the golden ticket for us as it applies to this idea of savage wolves. It's the seed that falls in the ground with plants that have thorns. And what Jesus says about those plants that grow where there are thorns is they get choked. You ever had a movement of God in your life and you're passionate about Jesus? Maybe you've been baptized in the past and your spirit of Christ is alive and well. And then it's among thorns and it gets choked. If we're honest, I'm speaking about myself here. I'm, I'm throwing myself into this picture. I resonate with that statement a lot. Seminary cannot prevent me from having my faith choked. doesn't matter how much education I have, how many people I've had the privilege of baptism. I have to be in community with people. And I think about what are the weeds? I would use the word weeds versus um, thorns today. But like weeds, weeds are growing up into your life. What are the weeds? There's a wonderful book that I would encourage you to read. It has nothing to do with weeds, but it talks about lies. And it's called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And in this book, he actually talks about how he believes that the number one religion today is politics. Sorry, I go there. Making you uncomfy. Let's go. Jesus is going to redeem it. Hold on. I don't know how to spy along it. Let's go. But isn't that true? I don't remember a day waking up as a child where a political news station wasn't on my TV. In some ways, I could honestly say that I am more driven by the narrative on social media and I hear it more than I do the word of God in my own life. So I'm speaking as a soldier alongside you who's struggling. But if we think that we're, if it's our goal rather, to make an impact into our culture, which we would love to do, right? If we want to make an impact in a, no, in a post-Christian culture, we got to guard against the wolves in our lives. Now, politics is obviously one, but I want to go a little bit deeper because I think there's a much bigger thing going on. And I think it's the weeds that grow in your mind. A recent Harvard study came out talking about 2021 graduates. Um, and then they, they, they polled high school students and college students last year. And they found that 93, 93% of high school and college students felt extreme stress by week two. I didn't say stress. 
I said extreme mental and emotional stress. And let's be honest, for those of us who are no longer in high school and college, that applies to us too probably, doesn't it? Sunday feels really good and Monday morning blues come. Thank goodness we get Monday off this week, some of us, so we get Tuesday. Whew, one more day to stall. But there are some weeds growing in our minds and we have allowed them to grow because we have not surrounded ourselves with good soil, good people who are going to not just challenge us, but equip us and inspire us and encourage us to keep growing in on our faith. So if you haven't been through rooted, scan that QR code right in front of you. You'll get the privilege to see me every Wednesday night. Scan that thing and get into a community where you're going to be encouraged. And if you feel like you're in the land of thorns, join a land or a community group that's trying to remove the thorns from your life. We need to be courageous. And maybe the greatest courageous step for step one here is for you to actually sign up for Rudy. Because let's be honest, joining a group of people you've never met before, awkward. But courage will get you there. And what Rooted stands for, why it exists, is to root you in the Word of God, in a community that's going to love you. I had to say this to somebody this week. There is no condemnation in Christ. Go read Corinthians. When you are in a community of people, you will find that God loves the heck out of you. And oh my goodness, you talk about thorns being wilted away. Man, let's get some Roundup on our thorns, and let's get in some Rooted groups. But there's a third thing, and it's scary. The third one gets worse. Man, this story just gets crazier. But we're going to jump all the way to Revelation chapter 2. 40 years later. So Apostle Paul has this crazy conversation with these leaders of the church in Ephesus. He gives this warning, wolves are coming. Be courageous. Learn from me. Doesn't matter how hard life got, I still preach the word. Wolves are coming from within you. And let's see what happens 40 years later, written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John in First and Second and Third John. He writes this, saying from the angel of God, verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I'm going to read that again. Just let this marinate over you for a second. I hold this against you, church. Ooh. Jeremy, I hold this against you. I think the word's speaking to me. Oh, sometimes it's not fun being on stage and having to say things that are just like spoke strike at you. Ah! You have forgotten your first love. So being courageous in the spirit, massive step. Get in a community that's going to help you overcome the weeds of your life, the weeds that are, the things that are influencing you that are not of Christ, essential. But the goal is not to remove the thorns, but to replace them with your first love. Remember your first love. If Ephesus was this incredible church, how devastating it must have been for Paul. Unfortunately, he was dead at this point. He was already killed for his faith. But if he were alive, how devastated he would have been that 40 years later. This is the message to the Ephesus church. Now, we're getting, we've only been around for 11 years as a church, and in two weeks, we're going to celebrate our birthday as a church, and seeing what God is going to do. But man, we're at risk of the same thing, individually and corporately. Verse 6, or verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent. 
Now, repent, we usually think, only applies to those who've been Christi- who haven't been Christians. Oh, I think it applies to those who have been Christians for a long time, who need to repent to get back in the huddle for a second time, need to lead a rooted group, need to be in a community, and do the things you did at first. How do we return to our first love? Because I think this is the golden nugget. This is what Amanda saw. Every healthy relationship hinges on these three things. One, it hinges on good communication. If anybody who's been married for a long time, you realize that. I didn't realize that the socks being paired together was important to my wife. I learned really quickly, right? Communication is essential. But that's not alone what's going to make a marriage or any relationship great. There's another piece. The second piece is that you have to have common interests together. You have to genuinely want to be together, right? And then the third piece of this is intimacy. And I think this applies to our relationship with Jesus about how we find our first love. If you have all three of them, your relationship with Jesus is probably thriving. You're listening to his word, you're praying, you, you, you just, for some reason, you can see him in your daily life, you're communicating like nobody's business. But a lot of that communication and closeness to Christ is coming out of the fact that you're serving him, you've been courageous, you've had the hard conversations with your kids, you shared the, your faith with your coworkers, and you're being faithful, you're being courageous, and you guys are in community with Christ. You're having like things. You are in ministry together. And then the third piece is intimacy. But have you ever had intimacy in a good relationship, not just sex, obviously? Have you ever been in an intimate relationship with somebody, a best friend, a spouse, a parent, where you've never seen them? Where you aren't doing things together? No. See, the thing is, if you have two of these you know something's off. And I think there's a good portion of us in the room who have two of them, but we don't know which one's missing. But we're off a little bit. But here's what happens. If you don't address it, I guarantee you, you'll go down to one. If you're communicating really well, but you're not doing like things together, you're not having intimacy, I'm going to tell you right now what your communication is, is anger to each other. Ever had that angry communication with Jesus? His church? And if you have none of them, your faith has been suffocated by the thorns in your life. Let me tell you the ending of that story and and Avon that just God has used as a reminder for me for ever since then. So we had one kid, my own cousin, for three weeks to eat three gallons of ice cream. Let me tell you how we got so many students to start coming out of nowhere. Like if you listen to that story, you would think, okay, Jeremy just went to like some ball game with this cousin and got to know a whole bunch of kids because I have a big personality and I'll talk to anybody. Nope. My wife happens to be working in the middle school at the time. And she was a student teacher. And this young boy named Grayson found out that Sarah hated the most important food group of any middle school boy. It's called Taco Bell. Right? If you have middle school boys, you know that Taco Bell is really, really essential. And she hated it. Still does to this day. And he was flabbergasted. And somehow or another, in this conversation in the music class, Sarah got the courage and the confidence in Christ to tell him, if you come to our middle school tonight, I will eat whatever you bring from Taco Bell and reimburse you. I actually love Taco Bell, but like you give me sushi. Oh, Jesus, give me courage. Jesus used Taco Bell and my wife's courageousness. Grayson comes. He has no idea that only one other kid's going to be there, but that's beside the point. He then brings his identical sister, 
uh, not identical sister, doesn't work that way. Twin sister, I have an identical twin. His, you get the point, his twin, Greta. And within four months, 28 middle school students had given their life to Jesus and had been baptized. It, if Jesus can use Taco Bell friends, whoo, one mustard seed size of faith he will use. And Mercy Road believes that nobody is too far from Christ. Do you hear that? No one. To be joined in with Christ in a passionate relationship with him. I wonder how many of us have passion for Jesus. So I told you fresh fruit. I was convicted Monday night. This week we went into staff meeting. This week on Tuesday. And, and Pastor Josh asked all the staff, how are you guys doing spiritually? And I had to speak up. And I went, I'm preparing for this message and I feel like it applies to me and I'm not very happy about it. Do I have to preach it kind of thing, you know? And I said, guys, this is, my ch this is where I feel like the Holy Spirit's convicting me. So I'm just telling you my story. I have a, a long list of incredible stories. I actually have a book in my office that's called Pastoral Records that my dad gave me. And I've kept record of every single baptism I've ever done, every wedding I've ever done, every funeral, every child dedication. Like we had a baptism last service, I'll have a child dedication next service. I'm like, whoo, it's, you know, Jeremy's little way of keeping record. And then I realized I had not kept record since 2018. How fresh was Jeremy's fruit? That now all of a sudden he's got caught leading people, leading ministries, leading systems. If you know me, I love systems. And I forgot I haven't been keeping track of the people, the movement of God in my life. How fresh was my fruit? If you've been in church for a really long time, I think this is the invitation for you. Is to take a bold step, a courage step to live boldly and to love deeply. Because if you don't have fresh fruit, a fresh movement of God is evident through your life. You have a big prayer to make this morning. And that's not condemnation. I'm with you. Fresh fruit. Do you need to take a step of courage? Do you need to take an intentional step in community so that you can get out of the weeds of your life, find support in it? Or maybe you're in the third step and you just need to remember your first love. There are a lot of Christians who need to look at Jesus and repent and come back to our first love. What is your first love? Man, I just, I can't help but look at Isaiah and know what Isaiah's going through. I'm sorry, Isaiah, I didn't ask you for permission to say this, but that man inspires me because I know his first love and like, I can't look at that and go, I want to be that. That's not a personality, friends. That's a movement of the Spirit of God that has completely transformed a person. I want that for you and for me too. Would you pray with me? Lord, I believe that this is a, a moment. This is not a, an off weekend and a holiday. This is a movement of your spirit to make a change. Lord, for the person who needs a, a, a courage, a moment of courage, I pray that you would just move in their heart right now to take the courage to do what they need to do. Whether it be to admit and to repent and be baptized this morning, when that baptism is open, Lord, I would be, it'd be amazing to see your spirit move in an act of courage. Or it's to get in a rooted group or a huddle. Maybe it's to lead rooted so you can help other people get through their mess. To get in community. Or maybe it's my challenge for myself. I feel your spirit telling me, Jeremy, have you lost your first love? Through so the business, the day-to-day -day activities, 
the grind of being a dad, grind of being a mom, grind of being a boss, the gr- whatever it may be, Lord, that we would just turn our face to you and bow down to the holy God. There is no one, there is no one, there is no one like you. It's in your name we pray, amen.